thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. I'm delighted to have you with me as today I launch a new series that I've entitled The Why and How of Christian Political Engagement. I hope this series will be a blessing to you. And to be honest, I'm not sure where all exactly it will go, but in part it will be a reflection on some of the things that I have learned over the last several years that have fundamentally change the way I look at what I do in the realm of politics and law and government. Things that I did not learn sitting in evangelical Bible-believing churches during the course of my lifetime. To be honest, the more I reflect upon my experience, I, I don't believe that the current way in which we, quote, do church lends itself very well to helping people be other than devotional in their Christian faith, their Christian walk, their Christian experience. And by that, I mean relatively pietistic. Um, We don't know how to think about law or business or marketing from a God-centered perspective. And as I've tried to repeat over and over, particularly as we went into the Restoring the Vision seminar a couple of weeks ago, having a God-centered worldview can be different from having a biblical worldview or what I'll even call a Christian worldview. Now, I say that out of my own experience because many people would be shocked by what I, I just said. But you see, you can, you can take a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview and, and use it to look at the issues of the day whatever they are, whether they're dealing with your children or at the place you work or for me in government or law or politics, to see what is the morally right thing to do. And it's not that we shouldn't care about what the morally right thing to do is, but we may not pursue the morally right thing from a God-centered perspective. And there's a difference, and I hope that that will become more clear as we go through this new series. So I want to begin in sort of an odd place, and we're going to integrate some of what we did through Restoring the Vision. So if you missed it, I hope you'll enjoy this episode as I play bits and pieces of what we heard from the speakers there. But I want to begin in in what might be a strange place. I read this actually just this morning from a book entitled The Good News We Almost Forgot, a very appropriate uh, title, and it's actually a wonderful little devotional book if you're looking for one, not devotional as in like a a daily bread, but it it takes the, or an upper room, it it takes the Heidelberg uh, Catechism, which is a wonderful catechism. People are are really not very familiar with it, uh, and of course a lot of churches don't say anything about catechisms or their value or their place in the the Christian experience. But it takes that old catechism and then the author uh, spends about three or four pages talking about um, what the catechism is for that day. So if you're unfamiliar with catechisms, essentially 
they ask a question. You may have heard the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? So that's how a catechism would be. It would ask a question, then give you an answer. And so at the beginning of this book, uh, the author says the only thing more difficult than finding the truth is not losing it. And boy, that I think is so true. That's why he really wrote this book, is that we've lost some of the truth that we used to know, we used to believe. And I've found that in my own experience when it comes to the matter of law. What I was taught in law school bears no resemblance to what um, the truth about law that we used to hold and have forgotten. And that's why we wander around in the wilderness with issues like abortion and same-sex marriage because we can't think outside the current parameters and frameworks that we've been given because we've lost touch with the old parameters and frameworks that we had in order to use them and reassert them and to reclaim uh, what has essentially frittered away. So he says, the only thing more difficult than finding the truth is not losing it. What starts out as new and precious becomes plain and old. What begins a thrilling discovery becomes a road exercise. What provokes one generation to sacrifice and passion becomes in the next generation a cause for rebellion and apathy. And I thought, boy, that's where we are. If you, if, if you think of our culture that, that we have people willing to die uh, to sacrifice their lives, their fortune, their sacred honor to establish this country on the foundations that they gave it, and now it's a cause for rebellion or even apathy. And so what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is trying to look at some of the truths that we have forgotten as Christians in order to then consider how they apply to Christian political engagement. And, and the reality is we've just forgotten a lot. In fact, the author of the book that I've been referring to says, the church in the West has many new things to learn, but for the most part, everything we need to learn is what we've already forgotten. The chief theological task now facing the Western church is not to reinvent or to be relevant, but to remember. We must remember the old, old story. We must remember the faith once delivered to the saints. We must remember the truths that spark reformation, revival, and regeneration. And you know how often in Scripture God was calling his people to remember, to remember, and to remember. Now, from there I want to transition to a statement I read several years ago that uh, I've, I've often thought about by Gene Elstein. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it, but she died in 2013. She was an American ethicist, political philosopher, uh, quote, a public intellectual. She was at one time the uh, head of social and political ethics at the University of Chicago Divinity School. She taught uh, at Vanderbilt University. And she made this statement that uh, I thought was particularly insightful. And it was made around the time of the Rodney King incident. Now, some of y'all may not know what I'm talking about here, but uh, Rodney King was an African-American man. and. Uh, Anyway, there, there wound up great racial riots uh, as a result of, of what took place with, with Rodney King. 
and and at one point on on TV he said in a rather tearful way why can't we just all get along and so here is what Professor Elston said the diversity in politics really doesn't concern so much whether we drive on the left or the right side of the road but whether we accurately understand God man and the world we prefer to think that truth does not make any difference we tend to assume that the political things are more important if we resolve things at that level if we just agree to get along all will be fine we needn't worry about those complicated intellectual or religious differences the fact is however that the discussion of truth we have been created to pursue must take place at a level beyond politics. Now there's a, a lot that she said in there. One, noting that we've been created to pursue something, created to pursue truth. Uh, she notes the fact that we want to think that truth doesn't matter. You know, we, we don't have to get into all these theological things. Theological things just divide us as if our world is uh, not divided already as it is even though our culture largely ignores the truths about God we have now my truth we we just want to say let's let's get along let's agree about the political things and move on and and that that my friends just won't work as I've said repeatedly Abraham Kuyper said that every view of reality begins and must begin with some view of God. And even the atheist begins with some view of God, namely, that there is not God. But what is it that Christians really believe about God? What I found in my own experience is that I didn't really know what I believed about God, notwithstanding having grown up in the church and for most of my life being at church Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday evenings. I kind of caught various things, but but there was nothing sort of, as I would say, systematic about it, nothing um, that, that really hung together. It was get a little of this and get a little of that, and, and you, you try to put it together and piece it together as best you can. And, um, and, and so I think that's probably true for, for many of us. We hear a lot of things. And to be honest, if you're like me, there are times that you've gone to church and you've listened to the pastor. You may have scratched your head and said, oh, huh? well, he's the pastor. I mean, he went to the Bible college or he went to seminary. I, okay, but, but maybe they didn't make sense or they seemed to be in conflict with something else that you had read somewhere else in the Bible or be in conflict with your own experience or what you were seeing going on around you. And, and so... If we're going to get the how and why of Christian political engagement right, we have to get these questions about understanding God, man, and the world. Because God's the creator, we have to understand God right. And, and, and oftentimes we come up with strange thoughts about who God is and what God's done and what the purpose of our existence is. And let me just share with you as we begin this journey over the next several weeks, uh, a couple of things that I've read and see if you've either heard these things or maybe you've said these things. So again, going back to the book by uh, Kevin DeYoung, The Good News We Almost Forgot, he makes this statement. He said, everyone is a theologian, like it or not. 
the atheist who says there is no God, is a theologian of sorts. His theology is that of the God of the Bible does not exist. And he says for Christians, the atheist is easy to peg. We know him hand, hand down that his theology is bad, but, but what about ourselves? What about the Christian who says something like, my God is a God of love? Boy, and I've heard that particularly in our cultural climate. I've heard it in churches. Have you not? Particularly when you get to something that's controversial, one of those divisive social issues, my God's a God of love. Meaning, essentially, well, my God wouldn't send anybody to hell. My God wouldn't judge anybody. But that's bad theology, though it's not as easy to spot as that of the atheist, he says. The problem is it's partly true. God is a God of love. In fact, the Bible says God is love. Love is not an add-on to God's character. It's part of his essential nature that he is love. But what's wrong with it? Well, first, he says, the words, my God. My God is the product of one's own personal belief of what he or she thinks God is like. It is not based on any external, objective information. And we've talked about that in past weeks, the subjective-oriented nature of most of evangelicalism today, which focuses on the subjective experience of God, what I experience of God, not on anything that's objectively true about God. That's what we talked about last week. There's a subjective aspect to salvation, a subjective aspect of, of God's objectivity. Because of God, who God is, it has an effect on us subjectively. But but we have to start with the objective, not with our own subjective experience. Or we'll wind up with something like, my God is the God of love. And then De Young continues, the second error in my God is a God of love is that it ignores the fact that the God of the Bible is also a God of justice and righteousness. It ignores the fact the Bible says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. So, so, so maybe that reflects some of what you've heard or some of what you've experienced or, or when you've heard it, maybe you've not known what exactly to say in response to it. Let me, let me read you another example from a, another wonderful book by Grant McCaskill, again, which I would recommend to you. It's called Living in Union with Christ. He writes these words. Evangelicalism popularly works with an account that runs along the following lines. Now see if this doesn't sound familiar to you. The death of Jesus pays for our sins, takes the punishment that we deserve, and makes it possible for us to be right with God. Once we are right with God, we receive the Holy Spirit who, or perhaps which, functions as a kind of Gatorade, an energy shot that gives an ability to live obedience to God's commandments that we didn't have previously, to raise our moral game, as it were. We still continue to need the cross because even in this new life of obedience, we continue to fall into sins that need to be paid for. But the transformation of our lives and sanctification is something that comes through our moral partnership with the Spirit. He then says, we might not render it in such crude terms, but this is what our account of the gospel often boils down to. The problem with it is that it's not so much wrong, but it isn't right enough. And he goes on to say, that's generally the problem with problematic theologies. They often affirm the right things, but not enough of the right things, so that what they affirm rightly is bent out of shape. 
by its lack of context or its skewed emphasis. When we have a skewed theology, when we have a skewed doctrine of God, when you have a skewed doctrine of what it means to be human, then you will wind up with a skewed view of government and law and politics. And, and to be honest, my view most of my time in politics was skewed. So we're going to go through this series very deliberatively. We're, we're going to go through it very methodically. We're going to build each week on precepts from the week before in order to arrive at the why and how of Christian political engagement that will be hopefully more true, more right, more God-centered than, than we've ever been before in our lives. I look forward to having you join me again next week when we'll pick up with a clip from Dr. George Grant at the Restoring the Vision seminar we had back on May 15th. Hope you have a great weekend and look forward to being with you next time on God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.factennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.